Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Um, if you got a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be starting in John chapter 8. And uh, uh, I'm going to be dealing with some kind of large concepts today. Uh, we did last week as well, but uh, Pastor Drew has been emphasizing that if you know God, you'll find freedom. Amen? So last week we studied that knowing God involves primarily entering into his offer of forgiveness of sins. If you don't have your sins forgiven by God, you just don't know him. You're not just separated from God by your sins, but you actually don't know who he is because he's a forgiver of sins. He's full of mercy and full of grace. So um, John chapter 8, um, in verse 31, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. Does that sound all right to anybody? Do you want to be free? Well, I mean, last week we answered the question, what does it look like to know God? And I know it was an inadequate explanation, but we, we took a stab at it. This morning, we're going to answer the question, what does it look like to walk in freedom? Because I don't think it's self-explanatory. I, I mean, if you can just think within yourself, would I rather be a free person or locked up? Well, that's a no-brainer. Of course, I'd like to not be locked up. Because human life requires some freedom in order for it to be lived with enjoyment, right? But what kind of freedom are we actually talking about? Because I, I don't think that that just explains itself. And so I think we need to look to the word to find out. And, and Jesus says here, free from sin. If you're a person who commits sin, you're a slave of sin. That's not freedom. But I'm really equating that with knowing God. If you know God, you know him as a forgiver of sin. And if you know him as a forgiver of sin, guess what? You're forgiven. And that's good news. But there are other freedoms that flow from this freedom from sin. And uh, there's so much here. The heart of knowing God, forgiveness of sin through the shed blood of Jesus. The result, restoration of the image of God. The image of God. Human beings were created in the, in the image of God. Our purpose, therefore, is to reflect God's likeness. That's what you're for. 
And every one of you has a unique part in reflecting God's image. I don't do it like Kathy does. We need each other. And in fact, we need the whole body of Christ because none of us reflect the image of God completely. But you've got a part. You've got a piece. That's, that's your purpose. When sin entered the picture, the image of God in us became distorted. When I say image of God, I want you to picture a mirror. And when I say sin entered the picture, I want you to picture throwing a rock at the mirror. Do mirror fragments still reflect? Yeah. But have you ever seen a shattered mirror on the floor? You look down at it and you see kind of a, I don't know, it's not you, but it's pieces of you, right? And that's what happened when sin entered the world. It's not that we completely ceased reflecting the image of God, but we ceased reflecting the image of God accurately. We need to be put back together again. The image of God in us became distorted, and our fellowship with God was impaired. You know what fellowship means? It means two people having something in common hang out. And God made us for a relationship. That was the purpose of the image. He made us to hang out with. And when sin entered the picture, we became unfit company for God. This is tragic. Our fellowship with God was impaired. Our purpose was out of reach. But God redeemed our rebellion by placing the punishment due for our sins on his son on the cross. In this way, fellowship is regained and the restoration of the image of God in us is initiated. In other words, we've come to know God and the result is a freedom to reflect God. How? I haven't really explained much except for the connection between knowing God and finding freedom. But what does this freedom look like? Freedom to what? So in answer to the question, I'm going to borrow Rick Warren's five activities of the church. Worship, fellowship, evangelism, discipleship, and service. And I'm going to suggest to you that these are all five things that God himself engages in and that as we come to reflect that image, we come into a freedom to resemble God in these five ways. I think it would be really good if we could stop and pray for God's grace before we continue. God, you are so good and so holy and you've given us your holy word and you've made us in your holy image and God, we confess that we wrecked it. But we remember that you're in the process of restoring it, restoring your image, restoring our fellowship with you, restoring our purpose to us. God, I pray that these words would come out clearly so that your people are helped, so that your people are built up, so that your people have a proper expectation of what you're about to do. Lord, lead us forward by your spirit through your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the first thing I want to talk about is freedom to image God in worship. That is to reflect God in worship. So I, I think it's worth asking, does God worship God? I mean, because that's just a little bit weird. Where is it? When you do something that you're proud of, what do you want to do? You want to draw somebody else's attention to that, right? So, I mean, I think we all actually struggle with worshiping ourselves. But I think we struggle with that because there's a sense in which it's right. Think about Genesis 1. God made all that is, and he looked back and he said, that's very good. Well, who else was going to say that? <laughs> I mean, he was the only one around, right? Is it okay for somebody who does something well to say, that's good? I, I think it is, just so you don't get too stuck on it. I, I mean... I think you can say that's good, even if it's your work, without getting a big head. But we struggle with the big head thing. I mean, I, I do. If I do something good, I struggle with a big head. Does God struggle with a big head? No. Remember how Jesus described himself, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That's how God is. Jesus is showing us how God is. And in fact, that's how he's making you when you come to him. Makes you like Jesus. So again, though, back to the question, freedom to image God and worship. Does God worship God? Is, is that a weird question? Maybe? Well, when Jesus was here, he was a worshiper. Um, I could take you to Luke 10, 21, where Jesus is offering worship to God, but I, I think I'm just going to go to John 4, 23, where Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is part of the importance of God being Trinity, right? One God, but the Father who's God, and the Son who's God, and the Spirit who's God, and these three are one God, and none of us get that, and that's okay. We don't have to understand, we just have to believe, right? Because there's Trinity, there's the potential I say potential, but really it's actuality of worship happening within the Godhead. The Spirit acknowledges the excellence of the Father and the Son and extols him and moves us to extol him. That's what we do here, right? We allow the Spirit to move in us so that we extol God. Yeah, let's go to John 4. We're close anyway, right? Starting in verse 22, Jesus is talking. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Do you want him to find what he's seeking in you? I do. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I was noting to William earlier this morning that I caught his T-shirt out of the corner of my eye and I misread it. I didn't see the W at all, and I just thought it said RSVP. Would you please respond? Would you please respond to God? With that in mind, go to Psalm 136. That's 136, not 1 verse 36, because there is no 1 verse 36. <laughs> Psalm 136 is 26 verses long, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to start it out because you'll see the way the thing goes. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. What is he doing? He's taking one aspect of what's true about God and responding to it. Would you please respond? And this is, this is part of the freedom that's restored to us. When the image of God is restored in us, we act like God towards God. And we respond to his excellence with praise, with worship. Isaiah 12, verse 1 says, You will say in that day, what day? <laughs> if we could start with chapter 11, you'd say, it's the day of the Lord. It's the day when Jesus comes. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God, he is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. This is gospel stuff. This is good news. The good news that God has drawn near, that he's provided Jesus for us, who's come and is coming again, working a salvation that's activated now and completed then. This is so good. And, and what do we do in response to this message? Your anger turned away that you might comfort me. What do you do? Because that happened. John Piper says over and over again, evangelism exists because worship doesn't. In other words, the goal of preaching the gospel to people that don't know him is that they would be converted, changed from being those who don't worship God to those who do. Those who don't know God's salvation to those who receive it and respond to it with worship. There's your job description, Christian. but I shouldn't take too much longer on worship because there's more. There's freedom to image God in fellowship. So it's all right to ask the question, I think, is God a fellowshipping God? 
I mean, is that intrinsic to who he is? And I'm going to say yes, and again, rely on the doctrine of the Trinity. He, he didn't need to create humankind in order to have somebody to fellowship with. Because fellowship was happening within the Godhead from eternity past. Because you've got three of them hanging out and making each other happy. And it's always been. He didn't create out of need. He created out of his fullness. Psalm 133. We're close by. And this is a shorty. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there Yahweh has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. What happens when we come together in unity? Fellowship. There's an enjoyment of recognizing a likeness. There's just, there's a pleasure in being like someone and sharing a little bit of conversation, a little bit of talk that centers around what you have in common. And the glorious thing about coming together in this place is that we all have something in common, right? We all have our need in common. We all have the satisfaction of that need in common because Jesus has come and has given his everything that we might have it and share it. And if you've got his everything and I've got his everything, we have most everything in common. It's a ground of fellowship. First John 4, 7, 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves knows God because God is love. And so there's something about God being present when we love each other. We love because he first loved us, right? That's also First John. Yeah, we got to go here. Acts 2, 42. You know it's just happened in Acts 2. The promised Holy Spirit has been poured out. Um, something resembling tongues of fire have rested on the heads of all the 120 who are present, and they're all prophesying and speaking in tongues. But that's not the end of the story. Toward the end of chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What is this? They're together. They're hearing teaching going on. That's something that we do together, right? You're doing it right now. You're hearing the teaching, and then you're sharing bread. We've done that before, right? We should do that more, I think. Just get together and share a meal. This is good for us. This is, it says that this, this is the result of the outpouring of the Spirit, that we just enjoy each other's company and we share things together, like everything. I mean, 
maybe not our colds. That's why I left my wife at home today. But, but you know, all the good things. Let's share all the good things together. Except for he also said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're supposed to share the bad stuff too. But maybe not literally share my cold with you, right? So I just want to demonstrate the effect of the outpouring of the Spirit, the Spirit of God who's in fellowship with God. The, out, the effect is that we enter into fellowship with one another. All right. Tell a story. The only sport I ever got knocked out playing was soccer. You would think karate might have done it, but it didn't. So... Somebody kicks a ball really far down the field, and I'm running for all I'm worth to get there. And I'm so intent on the ball, I don't realize somebody else is also headed for the ball. And so I got so close to the ball, and I got down low to kick, and this other guy was coming in, and his shoulder contacted my temple, and I'm out. So what's the point? I was drawing near to the ball, and so is he. And our common focus on the ball drew us together, which was not entirely good for me. But what I mean to say this morning is, if our common focus is on the purpose of Jesus, the person of Jesus, we are going to be drawn closer together. And if that means getting knocked out, I'm good. Let's do it. I don't think that that's what's going to happen, by the way. All right. What about outreach? Are you free? Are you free this morning when it comes to taking the good things that God has done for you and offering them to other people at the same cost that you paid? Freely you've received, freely give, right? Are, are you walking in any kind of noticeable freedom in this area? I mean, uh, are you like a 1 Corinthians 2-2 type of person, a determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified? Are you that focused that, that he's the only content of your conversation? I've got room for growth. How are you? I'm not as free as I wish to be. How about you? I'm not as fruitful as I wish to be. You? If you know God, you'll find freedom. This leaves me saying, I think I need to know God better. And we're all about that here. All about growing deeper in our relationship with him so that our freedom is apparently greater and greater. And part of that, a piece of that is more free to share the good things that we've received with those who are dying in their sins. And I, I really feel the need to grow in this freedom. Is God one who engages in outreach? Yeah, he like made this up. He invented outreach. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he what? What did that giving look like? He sent him from heaven to earth. If that's not outreach, I don't know what it is. 
Yeah, we image God when we reach out to people that don't know him. Remember how Jesus talked to his first disciples when he called them to follow him? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many have ever gone fishing? Did you ever notice that you're trying to sort through all the volunteers, all these fish just trying to jump in your boat? Never worked that way for me. You got to find something the fish wants, and then you hide something it doesn't want within a hook. You got to hide a hook inside the bait and try to lure that fish to grab what it thinks it wants, and then it gets something it doesn't want, and you take it somewhere it doesn't want to go in the boat, right? If you're in a boat, there's other ways to fish. But my favorite fishing was always from a boat. So what am I suggesting? I'm suggesting that you need to learn what people are hungry for because they are hungry. And the hook of the gospel must be hidden somewhere in there, but you've got to entice people to lay hold of what they're hungry for so that they find what they actually don't want so that you can lead them out of death and into life. And Jesus said that's what he's going to teach you to do. So if you feel like you're not that good at this, like me, then it's time to pray and say, Jesus, you said that if I followed you, that you would make me a fisher of men. Would you do it? Would you train me? Would you teach me? Because so far, I think I'm pretty lousy at this. I'm not entirely free. Isaiah 65. Do you love the way God is this morning? Listen to how he speaks here in verses 1 and 2. He says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. You see how he is. Why has history gone along as far as it has? Why hasn't God pulled the plug before now and said, that's enough? Because he's patient, not wanting any to perish but desiring that all should come to repentance. And you have a peace in that plan, and you will work it if you're free. If you're free to reflect God in reaching out toward those who have no interest in him. Trick them if necessary, but by all means, get them into the place where they can see who Jesus is. Jesus says, compel them to come in. That means use force. I'm not advocating broken arm evangelism. 
I'm not advocating gun-to-your-head evangelism. Other people employ those tactics, but Jesus is humble and gentle, and we're called to be like him in wooing people to him. So what does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force? What sort of violence is that since we've brought it up? My violence is directed toward me because when it comes to the worst enemy of my Christianity, he's standing right here. The devil? I mean him no disrespect. He does a fine job. But I'm the worst. And I have to be pretty tough on me if I'm going to walk straight from here to glory. Second Corinthians 5. This is a famous passage, starting in verse 17. I'll wait just a minute let you get caught up. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Pause. Is that heavy? He's given you the message and the mission to reconcile people to God. I, I mean, a part of me wants to say, oh God, I just want to do that work well. I want to do that well. And another part says, God, I think you picked the wrong guy. I mean, it's just, it's just me. I'm going to reconcile people to God. How? Well, here's the message. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. The appeal goes like this. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. The good news. Jesus became sin for us that we might become his righteousness. Are you in? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the message. The message that saved you is to be in your lips, potentially bringing people from death to life. Are you free for that? Are you free? Are you as free as you want to be? If the answer is no, and I would encourage you to gauge 
your fruitfulness by how many people you've had the honor of reconciling to God in the last 12 months. When I look at my answer, I'm not satisfied with my freedom. I'm not trying to make you guilty. I'm trying to make you run forward with the hope that's being offered to you in Christ to walk in this freedom. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And listen to the end. Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the world. You and I would be sunk on this mission. He hands us the mission, and the weight of it just, we're done. We're out. Accept that. He's with us. God is with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, continues to be with us to the end of the age. Otherwise, we couldn't handle this mission. But we image God on a mission that he has to accompany us on in order to get it done. We image him best when he is with us. Oh, there's more, but there's not much time. What about, kind of overlap with Matthew 28 here, freedom to image God and discipleship. We're all about discipleship here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go into all the world and make disciples. Is God a discipler? I should say. I mean, who showed us what God is like more fully than anyone ever had. Jesus. It, it says in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is the exact imprint of his image. You, in the flesh, we can't know God any more than we know Jesus. And he's the one who, in Matthew 4.19, said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. We talked about that already this morning. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, if Jesus is like that, the Father's like that. And if God is like that, a discipler, a teacher, we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be like him. If you know God, you'll find freedom. Freedom to what? To follow Jesus? Freedom to what? To teach other people to follow Jesus? That, that's what discipleship is in a nutshell. We hit Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Let's go to 2 Peter 3, 18. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What does that growth look like? Well, what does human growth look like? It's gradual. It's little by little. You know, 
when Jesus makes a change in you, and he's doing this all the time, as long as you're walking with Jesus, you don't ever stay the same. But change happens just like physical growth. It's not the kind of thing where you look in the mirror and go, hey, look at that. I'm three inches taller than yesterday. Now, growing older is sometimes like that. Hey, look, I'm quite a bit grayer than I was last week. Impressive. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But in general, growing up doesn't happen all in a day. But in a year's time, you can look and go, man, this is the mark on the back of the door from a year ago this time, and this is the mark now. You can grow three inches in a year if you're growing. I mean, we're, most of us have gotten over that part, right? But in the Christian life, change is generally gradual because God is so kind. Because if he changed everything that needed to be changed today in me, I don't think I'd survive that. So because of his kindness, he just goes, you know what, for the next six months, we're going to hit this little thing. We're going to get you past that. And then after that, the, the, oh, th there are more issues, <laughs> but, but we're just going to take them one by one, little by little, so that in his gentleness and his faithfulness, in his perseverance, he takes us little by little closer and closer to the likeness of the image of the Son of God. Discipleship. It's a process. John chapter 5. I'm going to have to pick up the pace a little bit. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Do you see the beauty of that? Jesus is imitating the Father. He was walking in discipleship under God. And what do we do? It's okay to start out me looking at one of you guys and going, so that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm going to do that. But, but eventually, I've got to stand up with my very own backbone and go, I'm going to look to Jesus and follow him. Um, verse 30, Jesus again says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was watching the Father and listening to the Father, and that's our example. We look to the Father and listen to the Father and do what he does and say what he says and teach other people to do the same. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Because Paul was following, and he knew he was following, he was okay to say that. So I want to encourage everyone in here to make it your goal to, the grow, to grow to the point in 2022 where you can say to somebody, go ahead and follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If you're like me, that makes you a little bit squeamish. Well, hold it. You know what? Um, I, I know me, and maybe it would be a good idea just to 
follow Jesus. But Jesus has better plans for you. He intends for you to be just like him. And he does all things by the word of his power. He's quite capable of making you like him. Expect that in 2022. Expect to be made like Jesus. Expect to be the sort of man, woman, or child that's able to say to somebody else, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I want that and I expect that for myself. I'll just quote this one. 1 John 2, 6 says, when we see him, we shall be made like him because we shall see him as he is. You know, when we become like Jesus, it'll become easier and easier to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And let's make that another goal for this church for this year, is that we're going to display Jesus in this place. We're going to display him so that we're all able to see him more clearly than we have, so that we will be transformed more than we've ever been into his likeness, so that we can have more confidence to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. One more thing, one more freedom that I want to throw out in front of you, and it's freedom to image God in service. Rick Warren stopped there. I'm going to add one thing to that. In service and in Sabbath. Because Sabbath isn't any good if all you get to do is rest. I was thinking earlier this morning about the woman that Jesus healed who was bent double for 17 years. All she was capable of doing was rest. And on a Sabbath day, Jesus straightened her up. And they really got on his case. And Jesus is like, you guys, didn't she have enough rest already? Give her a break. I'm able to release her from this enforced resting position that's been nothing but a, a burden to her. She's not actually been able to rest, certainly not able to work for 17 years. Have some mercy. But, you know, th this last week, I worked stupid long hours. One 16-hour day, a 17, an 18. It, it's, it's honestly too much. If you leave at 5.30 a.m. and don't get home till 2.15 a.m., it, that's too much. I think it's okay to call that stupid long hours. Yesterday, I had a Sabbath. I just rested, and I needed that. When I woke up, I felt run over. And I did. I mean, I probably ran myself over with that kind of stupid schedule. And, and rest was sweet to me yesterday. Sweeter than if I'd just kind of been loafing all week. So rest is sweet if work has been hard, but work gets unbalanced if you do too much. If you don't have periods of rest, work gets abusive. And God wants for us to do good work. But he doesn't want for us to be mistreated by our schedules. Whenever I mistreat myself with my schedule, it's probably because I don't trust God enough. 
resting says, God, the part of my labor that I've left undone, it's okay because you've got my life. You're the provider and I don't even have to make my customers happy. I just have to make you happy. Be exalted in my rest. It's good. It's good for us. Um, I won't go there. You know this text. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Uh, it, it says God made everything in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. He provided the example. And I, I said this last week, too. Why does God rest? Is it because he's tired? Absolutely not. It's because rest is delightful after work. And God is a God who delights. He's inviting us to be like him. Um, Deuteronomy 5, 12, and 13, again, I won't go there, but this is the Ten Commandments. And he says this to the people of Israel, because God rested, I'm commanding you to rest. But the place I do want to go is Hebrews chapter 4, because this ties together the idea of the Sabbath and the idea of the gospel, and I think that's worth looking at. Um... Verse 9 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What is he saying? He's saying that your works don't have the capacity to make you righteous before God. And the only way to be found righteous before God is to give up on what you can do to make him happy and rest in what Christ has done to make God happy. That's the Sabbath that we're being called to engage with, enter into, and remain there. Seven days a week, we don't ever go back and say, okay, I took my rest from my works, and now I'm going back to them. I don't mean we don't work. All I mean to say is that we change what we expect from our work. I don't expect that I make God happy for my work. I don't expect that I'm capable of making God happy with my works. I can only trust in the works that have been done on my behalf. The works of Christ fully satisfied the Father, and I can rest in them. So here's the conclusion. All of the activities of the church redeemed humanity are supposed to be reflections of God. Because of his work, we're able to come to know him. As we engage with fellowship with him, we find freedom to resemble him in worship, fellowship, outreach, discipleship, service, and Sabbath. Friends, we don't yet know our God very well. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. All I'm saying is he has to give people such as us eternal life, life that never ends, in order that we might actually know him. It takes that long. So I'm, I'm by no means making you feel bad and saying we don't yet know him well. But I am wanting to spur us forward because there's more for us in this life, more freedom for us to walk in in this life if we know him well. I pledge to seek more of the knowledge of God in 2022. Would you say that? I pledge to seek more of the knowledge of God in 2022. And in that knowledge of God, you'll find more freedom, I promise.
None of us are as free as God wants us to be yet. If you're eager for a fuller restoration of the image of God in you, would you join me up here? Because I want to pray a special blessing on all who are willing to identify themselves as those who want more of God and more of the freedom that comes from being in relationship with him. Come on. God. Yeah. Oh God, you say that you oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. I thank you for the humility of these who are standing here with me. God, we cry out to you together, desiring to have more of you, more of the knowledge of you, more of a vision of who you are, more of a consistency in our fellowship with you and our testimony of you. God, I pray that as you grant us more knowledge, that you would grant us more freedom and that your church would be glorious because we bear your image well. Glorious because we do the things that you do and we say the things that you say. That your kingdom should be manifest in our lives. God, grant great grace to us who are standing here for the glory of your holy name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.